We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Twig 131. We've got myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, Mishka Katkoff, and our new regular co-host, Eric Sufert. Welcome, Eric. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm <laughs> doing all right. So today we're going to cover four topics. First, Respawn reveals details on Apex Legends Mobile by GamesIndustry.biz. Second, Fortnite made more than $9 billion in revenue in its first two years from The Verge. Third, Johanna Ferries named new Call of Duty general manager. And finally, Activision released Q1 results. And just so everyone knows, this will be my last twig, at least for a while, unless I come back and guest host. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's great to be doing twig. And uh, I'm absolutely going to be looking forward to new episodes from the Eric's, Eric squared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still in denial. I think you're, uh, yeah. you're going to be back next week. All right, so should we roll into updates or do you guys have any other, anything else going on in your lives that we should be talking about? Dude, San Francisco is moving down to yellow tier, which basically means I can go back and do my old man triathlon, the uh, hot tub steam room sauna. So I'm I'm looking forward to that today. As a matter of fact, after this podcast, I am going to go swim and do my little triathlon. So fuck yes, finally. So good for so good for King Newsom to let you do stuff. <laughs> so, very happy for, dude, for yeah. He's going to get recalled, California. Dude. Yeah, I, I can't wait. <laughs> They're going to vote him out, dude. Miss Jenner's oh. going to be in the, the in the in the governor's said this place is going to hell in a handbasket. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I know. California. Uh, talking about going down, like Eric, you bought some app loving shares, I think, at IPO. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, Way to call uh, him out right on the first 
first five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> so, Hope you got so, a good deal. <laughs> we were we were talking about this before we started, and basically, I don't know what happened. That App Love and evidently had all these extra shares lying around, and they basically went out to almost everyone in industry saying, "Oh, I got a special deal for you of getting the shares at the IPO price of eighty dollars, right?" And of course, now the stock's at 60, right? So anybody who bought those shares just lost their freaking ass, right? And so I, that's not a good look. You know, like they didn't go out to friends and family. They went out to partners and friends of the company and people that work with them and stuff. And so like everyone just got fucking burned, you know, like it, it, it definitely backfired on them, I think. And I, I Eric think happens to be one of the victims of, of, of the share price. No, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a long, long-term hold. <laughs> i just can't i still can't believe that you would actually buy shares at a company that is literally an advertising company that's trading at 20 times revenue it just seems completely contrarian to my my uh understanding of your thought process around the world so and maybe i just don't know you well enough and my assumptions are are, are failing me you haven't read uh, mobile dev memo about uh it's, con 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 it's content fortress <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I, it's kind of weird. Like Eric was just selling this to himself. It was like content for this app store inside app store. It was like going through through everything and just like, bye, I'm going to get it. This is only going up from here. He also says right. that we're in a world in which valuation doesn't matter. So I guess that's yeah. the, uh, the real, the real, the real thing. No. All right. But, but I, I do think it, it has bounced back. The, the stock share has bounced back. A no, little bit. It, no, it has not. No, sure. no I, I think it's going to be down. It should be trading at five times revenue, right? Because they're 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 a game company, right? So they should be trading at what Zynga trades at, and uh, IDFA will probably do that to them. Yeah, but they, they are one of the more strategically well positioned companies mm -hmm. out there. So I mean, dude, yeah, they're yeah. still they're ad they're ad tech company, like with with eighty five percent game revenue, right? Mm. It's going to change, but I'm, no. I'm bullish about the company, but not just at that quite that valuation. But anyway, let's yeah, they're a great about... company. I'm not saying they're not a great company, but they're not worth 20 times revenue. They're worth five times revenue. So that's a quarter. So the stock yeah. should be $15. Perhaps. All right, let's talk <laughs> about the, uh, the the update. So um, first one from my, my side, uh, Lightheart uh, raises $6.8 million in Series A funding led by the uh, the powerful Makers Fund. So Lightheart Entertainment or Lightheart Games, I'm not sure which one is it, but I'm sure that they are neighbors. Like literally their door is next to Savage's door. So shout out to, to the team, they're growing. Uh, their first game did pretty well. And I'm hoping that their future games will do even better so that we're not neighbors anymore and they can move somewhere else. Uh, but, but anyways, um, yeah, a good company, good people. And I think we're going to have one of the uh, one of the founders in the podcast talk a little bit later. So they're focusing on hybrid casual games. Uh, they I think they call them hyper core games, but um, they're hyper casual games, hybrid <laughs> casual games. Mr. Katkoff, do you like have some kind of position in the Department of Commerce for Finland or something? Like, do no, you have to no, li literally support and shill every motherfucking company that works yeah. in, that is in Finland? I'm like, you know, yeah. enough's enough, dude. <laughs> Great, there's some, like lots of companies in Finland. You know, yeah. all right. Next, moving on. Good, good for them. Well, this one isn't. So, Epic Games acquires ArtStation to foster. Uh, so, an ArtStation is the way I understand ArtStation. It's LinkedIn for artists. That's where all the portfolios are. That's how we do all the hiring for all the artists always have been doing. <clears throat> I don't know what the strategic element here is to acquire ArtStation. I think it has something to do. Actually, I, I don't want to even say anything, but I just don't see the, the strategic component here. There must be, and um, I just don't know it. So if, you, if, if somebody who's listening to this knows what the strategic element in acquiring ArtStation is, please do let me know. And because, you know, anyways... Um, but we do know that after acquisition, they did two changes. First off, there was a 30% platform fee on ArtStation. And of course, Epic is against the high platform fees and they drop it from 30% to 12%. And uh, so did good for the folks on ArtStation. And secondly, uh, they're talking about making ArtStation learning streaming video service free for ArtStation subscribers for remainder of the year. Again, I don't know. Uh, these are these are good things that they're doing with ArtStation. I just don't know why why they acquired it. Um, another update: the Game Fund has raised fifty million to invest in games in U.S. and Europe. 
The founders of the Games Fund are Maria Maria Kochmola and Ilya Yeremeyev. Uh, they both worked at gaming and investment division of Mail.ru Group. And um, they, they, they are clearly focused on Eastern Europe. So Russia, Ukraine, Belarusia, Baltic countries. So uh, I would assume that their portfolio will be heavily Russian speaking. Uh, and, and that's good because there's not a lot of VCs in that in that area. And they have also acquired some really powerful LPs like the founders of Plarium. There's Investment Bank Arium. There's all kind of great, um, great, um, great LPs who are very knowledgeable in the um, in the market over there. So it will be interesting to see how this fund uh, acquires more more companies under them. But it's clear there's there's a lot of gaming companies in those Eastern European countries. And this will infuse much needed capital to, to grow them. A couple of more, Iron Source has released master classes. So if you go to is.com slash level up dash academy, there's a there's really good, um, really, really good master class. I was yeah, actually so, so I'm just laughing because I, I was just joking the other day about why is everything a master class now? You know what I'm saying? Like everyone's releasing a master class. I mean. <laughs> Aren't, aren't some of these just like primers or just like, you know, like, I mean, anyway, I, 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 don't was, wanna... I was actually going through these, like, these are, these are quite legit. Like I, I'm, I haven't been looking at a lot of master, like there's of course the masterclass app or, or the other uh, webpage that has like really, really good masterclasses. Yeah. Uh, from, I, I just think like, there should be a higher bar to qualify as a master, master class, class, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, all right, go, go, go on. I, 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 well, if you're looking for a real masterclass, I uh, <laughs> oh, run shit. my Here mobile. Modern. Use a discount code, deconstructor of fun. No, no, no discount code. But, uh, modern mobile marketing at scale is uh, is my uh, eight hour uh, course that you can uh, that you can uh, you can enroll in. It's uh, learn mobile marketing.com. Okay. So, so two master classes: mobile dev memo and iron source. And then uh, finally, uh, so on the newsletter, we had. Uh, the the, uh, the job page from Jam City. So they're looking from people to LA, San Francisco, Toronto, San Diego, artists, product people, engineers, designers. So just go to jamcity.com slash careers. <laughs> All right. I have a quick update or actually a question. So I was talking to this guy, uh, Simi from Israel. He's an investor. And he basically, the question he has is that why are we only at around six to 10% penetration for the opt-in message for apps out there? Why is this IDFA thing like slow rolling, why isn't it just happening, right? Anybody um, have any idea? Yeah, well, I have a theory, uh, which is I think pretty substantiated, but so there was, there's a bug basically. They they have a bug in, in iOS 14.5 where there's a setting which is kind of the equivalent of the limit ad tracking setting that existed before, which is uh, allow apps to request to track. So basically if you turn, if you turn this setting off, it should be on by default, but if you would turn it off, then apps can't even pop the pop-up so like there's just no access to the idfa and that was grayed out for a lot of phones so, like you couldn't it was it was turned off and you couldn't turn it on um which is so basically like you know that would just restrict even an app's ability to show you the pop-up there would just be no wow. access to the idfa and so that's that so that it was designed so that that's that setting is not um can't be changed for like certain classes of users so like if you're under 18 it was supposed to be turned off by default and grayed out um, or there was other, there was other qualifications for that too, but like, there was just a bug in who qualified for that. And so, and it was a pretty, it was a pretty significant proportion of, of, of iPhone owners. So basically like the setting was turned off, apps couldn't even show you the pop-up, um, and then you couldn't change it. And so I think what Apple's doing is it's fixing that bug. It's going to push that in an update and then it'll start driving adoption. Cause usually what they do is they'll, they'll send you a pop-up or they'll have the big red icon on your settings that kind of that that drives a lot of people to update and and then that that kind of drives that jump in the S curve but they haven't done that yet and i think it's because they're waiting to fix that bug before they do it okay so we'll probably see it in the next version of ios right 4.5.1 and then maybe it'll roll out more aggressively and eric yeah. Seifert, is there anything else with respect to idfa deprecation rollout that we have learned or anything else that people should be aware of well, I mean, there's a lot of things like, you know, first of all, Facebook basically just isn't ready, wasn't ready. And enough so that they're not sending events to MMPs. Uh, they're doing it in a different um, level of aggregation. And so the MMPs haven't really been able to uh, integrate yet. Uh, so that's just, first of all, it's not working. 
Yeah. So I, I, was, just, I was just saying it, uh, it's basically been a, a worst case scenario. It's, it's like almost like a comedy of errors. Like basically okay. everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Got it. <laughs> I really right. like Eric. I, I, you know, like it just says it how it is, you know? All right. Look at the Apple, dude. Apple, just a bunch of beasts. Just beasts. Just dirty, dirty beasts. All right. All right. A few updates from me. First of all, shout out to Mike Jarrell, who did a really cool interview on Brett Novak's Creators at Work podcast, recounting MZ's founding story as one of the company's co-founders. So check it out. Hear about MZ's very interesting origin story. There are also a number of stories behind the story, which Mike didn't go into, but if you ever see me at a conference and buy me a drink, maybe I'll tell you guys some of those stories, which are pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and in full disclosure, Mike is a, a good friend of one of my co-founders and investor in the company I founded. Second update, Sony announced they will integrate Discord chat into PlayStation. So this comes on the heels of rejecting an acquisition offer from Microsoft for $12 billion and part of Sony contributing to a $100 million investment round for Discord. And finally, since it's my last twig, I also want to pit my investment podcast, which is kind of like a fun project I do with Steve Pally from Pixelberry. Check it out. Super Stonk Brothers, not Super Stock Brothers, Stonk Brothers. And the latest uh, topic that we covered was actually skills. So, <laughs> and so if anyone from skills watches that, don't get mad. Sorry. I actually, I, I, listened to, I listened to the first half of that. I, I think you guys are on to something. <laughs> Like it's a criminal organization, you know. Um, they, they are they are in deep trouble, right? It's just a matter of time. And it's so funny, like the CEO gets up there on CNBC like three or four days before his fucking earnings call in the quiet period, saying everything's okay, everything's okay. It's like, dude, the fact that you're on CNBC and everything saying everything's okay, everything's not okay. We know, we know exactly what's <laughs> happening. And then your friend. Uh, from ARK Investments is the one that like pumped this thing up, you know, like got everyone all hot and bothered on it, right? What the fuck? She doesn't know what she's ta- doing investing in a company like this. Like, how how is that even a thing that she's involved in this? She's like one of the biggest shareholders now. Uh, yeah, I think 12th or something, 10th or 12th. Uh, this, but, thing's going, yeah. this thing's going to zero. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but, but yeah, I mean, the valuation is challenged. I'll just put it out. It's not a valuation issue. It's like they have no business model, right? They they they, they literally are, are. It is a the definition of a Ponzi scheme in which they're basically recirculating money that they're giving to their audience and ca- calculating as revenue. Far. I didn't go that far, but I, I will say this: like, like it's. I mean, they've gotten some traction in terms of solitaire. I mean, it's possible right now. The the big question marks around their unitary economics around their round tripping of revenue and how they treat revenue recognition for bonus cash and things like that. But anyway, if for you guys that are interested, watch, <laughs> watch, watch the, the podcast. It. It's uh, but yeah, watch yeah. It, I, I mean, I think there's always a, you know, one of the things that Matthew Contraman says is, you know, it's always about pricing risk. I just don't think it's properly priced. There, there's probably a right price for it, but, but the current price what, is zero. Too. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Activision. <laughs> yeah, um, Activision just uh, just announced earnings and uh, some I think some interesting uh, tidbits there. Call of Duty is just doing amazingly well across all platforms. MAU is up sequentially. In-game bookings were up sixty percent year over year, and uh, Season Three is apparently sustaining the strong run rate. So um, really impressive results from from Call of Duty. Uh, they have all, also uh, Activision revealed that Call of Duty Mobile has crossed five hundred million downloads which compares to 100 million players in Warzone and 400 million paid sales for the traditional Call of Duty games as a whole. Um, and Call of Duty Mobile also surpassed 1 billion in player spending since it released in October 2019. So um, just kind of like really amazing results there. Um, I thought one interesting uh, piece of information that came out of the earnings was that the gap is closing between their mobile and console share of revenue. So mobile is at roughly 45%, console is just under 50 um, and that they had they had sort of diverged a little bit um, during COVID, but that mobile is sort of like now catching up, um, which to me is pretty interesting. And speaking of mobile, um, King segment revenue uh, reached a, a new record and it grew 20, 22% year over year for the quarter, driven by strong growth for Candy Crush. Uh, King had 258 million MAUs in the first quarter, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, King delivered 70% year over year growth in advertising net bookings in the first quarter with increases across direct uh, and uh, direct brand advertisers and partner networks. So advertising, obviously, an important 
revenue segment for King. We'll see how that changes with, uh, with ATT. Um, but you know, that's been very important for them for a while. Um, and then crash bandicoot one, one kind of, I don't know, maybe I interpreted it as not being as positive as the rest of the news, but crash bandicoot, uh, was released on March 25th and and only really had 30 million installs. Maybe I'm just being overly negative there, but that seems low to me. I would have figured, you know, given the promotion um, and just the you know the scale of King's network and also the the brand involved, I would have expected more. Um, given that you know we're on like a month and a half, but maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm being uh, overly critical. What do other people think? I, it's a fucking I runner, think we've dude. been really critical about Crash <laughs> Bandicoot, no. right? So, no. uh, oh, and then the Bobby Kotick's uh, his his comp, right? Like, didn't he have his comp? Oh, yeah. Got rid of the transfer, transformational change clause, and so clearly, like a lot of people have been upset by his his compensation package. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't usually talk about the publicly traded names all that much, particularly on quarterly call stuff, but. Um, they are absolutely freaking destroying it right now with Call of Duty. <laughs> it's yeah. like ridiculous, right? But there's like rumors out there that the next version of Call of Duty is not going to be ready, that they're going to have to maybe transition without a new game, which hasn't happened in the last 15, 20 years. I find that fucking hard to believe. Like they will move heaven and earth and all, 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 all. but they have like Sledgehammer, which basically lost all its people, you know, running this new Call of Duty this year. Supposedly it's World War II. If that game doesn't come out and then we have a new great battlefield game, like, you know, their, their era <laughs> could get, take a hit, you know, and potentially. So I don't know. It's really kind of interesting times because they are just firing on all cylinders right now uh, with Call of Duty, but everything else seems to be kind of, you know, crumbling in the background, whether it's Blizzard, whether it's the studio org, even for Call of Duty. Um, so uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with them, but uh, Bobby is just crushing it. So for, uh, call, so for Call of Duty, is it back to three by three now? Is that what happened in terms of yeah. like the pipeline model? Okay. Yeah. So like, but but to be fair, next year is the hero skew, right? Because it's going to be from uh, Treyarch, right? Um, but this year it looks like a really bad, at best, it's going to be a really terrible version of Call of Duty. Um, hmm. Like didn't last year's version was awful too. It was like, didn't well, they not say awful, that but it was like. All their internal studios are now making content for Call of Duty or in somehow are involved in Call <laughs> of Duty development. Like even Toys for Bob yeah. is involved with con Call of Duty. I mean, good for them. Yeah, because because the whole no, because the whole studio org is is is, is in disarray, you know. So it's yeah. All right. They're ex executing despite themselves. But anyway, moving on. They're killing it. All right. Well, this this podcast is going to be all about shooters because we're going to talk about Respawn revealing details on Apex Legends Mobile. So the company said that the free-to-play title is, is designed specifically for mobile devices and will not feature cross-play. First regional beta in India and the Philippines. And there's actually gameplay already released on YouTube, so you can go and check it out, Apex Legends Mobile. Uh, and then Respawn previous attempt to bring Apex Legends to a new platform did actually not go so well. Uh, last month, they launched the uh, the Nintendo Switch version, and the Metacritic average was 54%. But um, I don't know. I, I've played actually shooters on Switch. It doesn't matter what type of shooter you're playing. It's a horrible experience. So I, I think it's it's more on, on, the, on the platform. I've played multiple different type of shooters on, on, on Switch. It's just... Not a good platform for that, so I'll it's, forgive. It's freaking uh, dude. It is unplayable on the Switch. It is like it's a ridiculous skew. It should have never been made. I'm. Yeah. I don't know what the hell they're thinking. It just, there, it just damages of, the brand. Yeah. Well. Well. Listen. There's Warframe on on Switch is unplayable. There's the um, Vigor that I've been playing. It's real. Like it's it's really different. Fortnite's unplayable. Fortnite's a yeah. terrible experience on the yeah, Switch. Yeah. By the way, it's so, it's Vigor, not Vigor. <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna call it Vigor. Like we have, we have some, 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 some uh, Norway, some, some Vikings from Norway actually listening to this. You tell it's us like voodoo, voodoo, voodoo. <laughs> Every time you say voodoo, I want to just like throw up. Voodoo. Oh, come on, come on. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, so last week we discussed Battlefield Mobile. It was done, like as we said, done internally by Industrial Toys, and we discussed that the content might be a challenge because of the uh, well the size of the internal organization compared to Call of Duty mobile that is done out of China uh, with the publishing team in LA. So totally different type of structure. Well, 
Apex, another game, another shooter from EA, is actually done in China by NetEase, so a powerful partner. And it seems to have a, pretty much the same structure as with COD Mobile. So they got product and publishing in LA and development in China. I watched the videos. I haven't played this game. I watched the videos, and, and it feels that this game is done on the Badlanders engine. Uh, it looks and sounds and you know i haven't played it but it feels probably the same and if you haven't played badlanders you can download it it's out there it's a third person shooter sort of an escape from tarkov version it got three million installs and about one hundred thirty thousand in revenue so it was a novel experience but was pretty much crushed by the market very quickly and my personal opinion as a, as a person who plays a lot of shooters on mobile it was a pretty poor experience. It, I, I liked the idea, but it didn't play well. And the fact that this game is, you know, it looks like it, it sounds like Badlanders is, is a little bit worrisome in terms of core gameplay. But the good part might be that it plays on low-end devices. So I think this will be downloaded uh, by, by a larger public. But um, but yeah, like how does it fare on mobile? So the challenges are, as, as with Battlefield, like direct competition against... Call of Duty, PUBG, Garena, Fortnite, the new PUBG, the new Battlefield. Uh, what worries me probably the most is the, the visibly low production values versus the expectations that usually come with this type of an IP. I mean, after all, Apex is pretty big in the West and it's, it's a you know console PC game. So my expectations initially were the sort of a Call of Duty mobile type of an experience. And, um, and of course, the other challenge is how they can tap to the existing player base, uh, since it's not cross-platform, so probably, you know, will they play this? And how they can tap with laps players, because those are probably the ones uh, that they're interested in. Uh, on the opportunities side, I mean, this, again, same as with Battlefield. So EA is not probably the best at performance marketing, but this being a big IP, it was the biggest launch before Call of Duty Mobile. Yeah. And before Warzone, so probably they're you know they're excellent at marketing these type of uh, these type of games, and um, I don't think the IDFA or ATT will have major impact on on their ability to grow this game. Um, opportunities as well that Apex has tons of content. They've done m multiple seasons. Some seasons didn't do too well. Some seasons did really well. So they have all this content that can just you know of course refactored and and and. Um, re-optimized for for mobile but they can basically bring it in and they have that gigantic team in china that can churn out content so content shouldn't be a problem and finally you know it's a shooter and shooter is uh, we did an episode so i released it on monday with facebook and and facebook was talking about how big of a genre shooter is and how much it's growing with new audience coming in uh and um and you know, in 2020, we got almost 40% grow year growth year over year just in the West in terms of installs, 30% growth in revenue, and um, yeah, you know, it's um, it 90 95% also of all shooter revenue is coming in from shooters with a realistic style, which Apex Legends has. So a lot of things fall together that 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 feel correct in terms of product market fit. Again, the only thing I'm I'm a little bit worried if if it looks and feels and plays exactly like Badlanders, I, I wasn't impressed by that game. So, you know, considering that it came from NetEase, that that should have resources to do whatever they want. So what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I don't know. Like the first video that we, I see out, out there on the YouTube is basically, it doesn't look like a high fidelity game the way it should, the Apex game in particular, right? So um, I'm a little bit confused because I thought I would expect them to do a lot better in terms of, uh, of building a game like that. Like I expected the same kind of like polish as something that teamy would do, but, but we'll see what it comes out with. I, it's still not in beta or alpha that I can see um, in, in, in the Philippines or anything. So we'll, we'll see if, if it improves over time. We also have a buddy, right? A buddy of the, of, of deconstructor fund. What's his name? He has a crazy name. What's his name? Ducati. Yeah. Ducati. <laughs> wait, wait, what's his last name though? Like the whole name no, is like that, that's that is last his last name. name. Giovanni what's his Ducati. first name? What? Giovanni. Gio Giovanni, yeah. Yeah. Giovanni Ducati, dude. dude that's gotta be the best fucking name. <laughs> is that ever, is dude. that public though? Should, should we be? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, of course it is. Anyway, he's working on it. So we'll see what happens. Um and then as for Battlefield, I, I think I said this the last time is that like I'm a little bit worried. Like industrial choice is I'm I'm sure they're a great team, but ex-Destiny guys, but like can they actually execute? compared to someone like fucking NetEase and Teamy and all these other guys and, and build the right experience for that game. So 
yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see. Um, but the shooter category is getting really crowded. And then if you look at the, the stats on Fortnite, which we're going to get to is like, uh, retention is horrid, horrible <laughs> for these, these iOS and Android, uh, uh, for, for a game like that. So. Yeah, but you, Fortnite has to be taken with a grain of salt. Like a lot of you, a lot of a uh, lot of research done on Fortnite mobile was that the players who play on 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 console or PlayStation or Xbox we were using the mobile SKU just to drop in and purchase something or just do like a quick task. So they weren't, you know, inherently playing on mobile. They would be playing on different device and then going back once a while on mobile. So they they weren't using it as much. All right. Isn't that what I just said? Like, well, like, like, it's, not, like it's not a very viable, viable market on mobile. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, it was just a different habit of using it because of the crossplay. That was at least the uh, market research that I've seen. Uh, and, and you have Call of Duty Mobile that is doing extremely well. So that's yeah, it's still it's still a very small market. A lot of games chasing four percent of the overall market. So yeah. I think that's that's the risk of call, across all these games and the games that you guys are making. <laughs> all right moving to the next article so Fortnite made more than nine billion in revenue in its first two years from the verge and so the verge is reporting a number of details that have been publicly disclosed about epic and apple due to the current trial between the two companies and if you guys haven't been seeing the tweets and hearing all the chatter about this you should a lot of great information has been coming out but the biggest headline however has to do with fortnite generating more than nine billion in total for epic in 2018 and 2019 that's gross also made more than five and a half billion in profit from that two-year period in addition to linking a finance board presentation as i mentioned a huge amount of data was disclosed and a lot of interesting insights especially for us as games industry people some of the highlights um, from they, they, there was a slide in that presentation from their uh, EBITDA puts and takes chart. It showed that in 2019, Epic spent 34 million in counter programming against Apex that year. Also, that they overestimated their opportunity for esports by 154 million, and Rocket League contributed 72 million in net revenue that year as well. From some of the files shared by the Washington Post, we also see in other docs that revenue split by platform for Fortnite between 2018 and 2019 to some of the points that you were mentioning earlier, Eric Kress, um, that actually 46.8% of revenue came from PlayStation, 27.5 from Xbox, PC was 9.6 and iOS 7, and then Android 0.5%. And I think this probably goes back to, remember what they did with uh, their own store on, on, yeah. on Android? Oh, right, 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 I, right. I think that really, really was a yeah. negative experience. You know, actually, let me take a step back here for yeah. a second. I am actually, what I'm really more surprised about this is how much is on PlayStation. Like almost 50% of the revenue is on one big platform, like a console. Versus like PC, I thought PC would be a little bit, a lot bigger than that. Yeah. And then the iOS, the yeah. iOS number is is abysmal. That is abysmal, right? A game like that of that scale, even if it's you know, I mean, it, <laughs> Android is abysmal. <laughs> well, Android, but that's for a reason, right? So yeah. you know, but like the fact that iOS, which was such a big lauded like launch with gazillion downloads and everyone talking about how great it's doing. Like only seven percent of revenue—that's not good, you know. That's not good. But, and 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 it, it goes back to the research that we did with Stan Kwan a while back. Is that fucking iOS is a gateway drug, right? And so you you get in on iOS and you're like, fuck this, this sucks. I'm gonna go play on the PlayStation, right? Because it's fucking a hundred times better experience, right? And so I think um, these numbers kind of prove that out even even more extreme. Yeah, but again, I think that there is a little bit of a synergistic effect too when you see like the gameplay mode by kids. So, you know, you might have three kids going over to Bobby's house who's playing on the PlayStation, but they're they're playing to, on their tablets I, I, that they bring. I, I get I mean, you. I, you say keep saying that, but, but obviously, <laughs> you know, it doesn't look good, right? And, yeah. and I, I, you know, I, the PC thing is still kind of like vexing to me. I don't know why. I think, you know, given the epic launcher and how big that was and how many people are you know, uh, interfacing with that. Like, I'm a little bit surprised that the that co the console revenue is so much significantly Yeah, the other rest. interesting thing, too, is that uh, for anyone who follows a Farlight 84 
Twitter channel, they ran a survey in terms of where their audience would like to see Farlight 84. And it's the exact opposite <laughs> of this, yeah, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. Android and then PlayStation was the smallest. So that, that was kind of interesting. Well, Some of the, uh, but you, you also, well, you, you left out Switch, right? So Switch is 50% <laughs> more revenue than PC, right? Switch, Switch, yeah. Switch no. is like, Are yeah. You no, no, no. Look, I mean, Switch was uh, 40 million yeah, uh, against 82 by Xbox, 148 by PlayStation. So in terms of percentages, uh, you know, it's just half of Xbox. So it's like 14% Switch. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry there. I'm... That's crazy. So maybe not so terrible. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway. And these were average numbers because in the average numbers, so the average numbers for gross revenues for Fortnite from the court, court documents per month so monthly average gross revenue was PlayStation yeah. 150, Xbox 80, Switch, half of the Xbox 40, PC was about 30, iOS was 23, but you have to account that this is an average and the game went out of the um, out of the iOS store in August, so half the year. Like, did they calculate it till then or was it just a whole year and an average of that? So is it divided by 12 or divided by seven? That's a question mark. And then Android. 2 million. Like, it's insane. Like, wh where's the Android revenue? Like, there's no Android revenue. Another couple of interesting uh, data points in terms of retention for Fortnite. So D1730 retention metrics of 41%, 13%, 6%. And then on Android, 35%, D1, 11%, D7, 4%, D30. And then also they, they show D180 RP numbers of $3.59 for iOS, $1.13 for Android, $11.62 for PC, and over $25 for Xbox and PlayStation. And Eric Seufert, I know you've been following the trial and looking at some of this data. Any other interesting data points we should be aware of from the trial? Well, I mean, I think part of the motivation for this trial was just to get a lot of this info out here, right? Because, I mean, they knew all this stuff would go public in Discovery, all the Discovery uh uh, documents would go out. And, and so you're just getting an amazing level of insight into a very secretive company, right? Like there's some emails I was just looking at today that talk about their uh, kind of calculus around doing ads in the app store and talking about how, you know, well, if, if developers are just basically manipulating app store rankings or chart rankings anyway, we should be making money from that, right? If they're just using these, you know, this was back in the day when you could use like bots to drive installs. But if they're just using bots, why don't we just sell them those positions instead of you know, because people don't really discover, they don't use the chart position as a, as a discovery mechanic anyway. Um, so it, part of me thinks that like Epic just, you know, especially when you look at the revenue numbers, right? Like Android and iOS combined are about the same as PC, right? And so like how meaningful, and which is, you know, much, much lower than even Switch and then Xbox and PlayStation. So like, let's just, let's just blow up Apple's, you know, relationships. Let's get all these special deals out in the open <laughs> Um, and let all of their partners start complaining. And maybe that gets us, um, you know, because I don't, th I don't think the lawsuit's going to be successful in terms of changing Apple's, um, you know, kind of status with respect to the App Store. But like maybe just if it angers all of the, you know, development community plus a lot of their partners, maybe that does eventually force their hand a little bit. But it's, it's just like an amazing treasure trove of data, right? Like you had uh, the origin of the no App Stores in the App Store rule was that big fish, uh, published a, a game subscription app and Apple had no, they had no like, uh, you know, uh, concrete rule against that, but they just booted it out. And then, and then they you know, sort of like made that a rule. Um, so there's just a lot of interesting insight, you know, from Apple, which you don't normally get, you know, to peer behind the curtain there. Yeah, I was, uh, well, sorry, I was looking at the, uh, the, uh, the, the retention numbers were actually telling as well. Um, that chart was actually really interesting. I thought anyway, was that, you know, day day thirty is like four percent for Android and PC, and six percent for iOS versus sixteen percent day thirty for PS4. That's crazy. And Xbox yeah. One was trailing. I don't really get that as much. And then, but the look Switch, at Switch. Look at Switch Switches. day thirty. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, the Switch data is 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 contrarian to my negative Nelly, but the game is sucks on Switch. I played it. It's terrible. I just these kids have nothing else to play on. That's kind of what the, the what the message is. It seems, but anyway, I, what do I we, know? We need to make our game. <laughs> if, if you put your game on yeah. Switch, I am going to shoot both of you. Okay, that's a <laughs> stupid <laughs> idea. All right, definitely. That Switch, we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. It's uh, it, it is a treasure trove of data that we haven't seen before. I mean, they had the full P and Ls in there. They had email correspondence. Like yeah. I mean, you could spend days 
you could download the whole freaking thing and spend days like looking through it. It, it was it was it was really interesting and 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 eye opening. Um, my, one of my, my yeah, go ahead. No, I said one of my clients is an investor and and he didn't he didn't have this data. Yeah, he he's invested in the company. He's, he still he had never seen any of this stuff. So uh, so it's, it's it is not easy to find. So it's very cool. One, one of my favorite exchanges was Tim Sweeney emailed uh, I think Steve Jobs. And was like, hey, you know, he was. This is like a long time ago. Obviously, he was complaining about you know Apple's take rate and saying you know Apple was such a, an inspirational company. You can't believe that you're you know kind of monopolizing access to the app store in this way. It, it's bad for devs. It's bad for consumers. And this long kind of like you know ranty soapbox email. And then Tim, uh, I think Steve Jobs just responded to some other guy, some other people on the thread, and was and was like, was this the guy that came to our developer summit? Like they, they, he didn't even he didn't even know Tim Sweeney was. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, Jobs was known as being super ruthless about stuff like that, like uh, any type of leaks about products or anything. Like he would he would call people specifically, like call them out and say, "We're going to put you out of business if you don't shut the fuck up about our new iPads or whatever, all that kind of thing." So anyway, he was ruthless. He's ruthless. Um, I don't know what else. Anything else about? Wasn't there some like profitability stat that they had there that made Apple look really bad? you know, in terms of how much money they're making oh, on the app store. Yeah. And, 78, and, 78% operating margin with the app store. <laughs> it's like free money. Yeah. They don't even, <laughs> you can't even justify the 30% when you're making 78% right. margin. So, oh, well, we, it was something like, oh yeah, we have engineers that work on this. I'm like, dude, how many engineers fucking work on the store? Give me a break. Yeah. Right. Um, but the other thing that to your point earlier, Eric Seifert, the smart Eric, is that, um, <laughs> The PR hit on this will be bad enough, and then we're already seeing things happen in Europe that that that, that yeah. is more likely to pass yeah. and and something to happen quickly and and more strongly than it would be in the U.S. because U.S. is like much more notoriously challenging to get any of this shit done. So that may be the ultimate thing: is that something happens in Europe that then will be adopted in the U.S. Right, similar to the. Uh, um, what were those rules that were released a few years ago? Anyway, GDPR. GDPR. So, um, so anyway, yeah, well, we'll see if that starts to take foam. Because again, I think we said this in the podcast before, is that Spotify and any t- music services and those type of services have a case, right? Because yeah. they're using yeah. their monopolistic power to have unfair advantage in the marketplace. And you may not be able to prove that in the US, but you can certainly do that in Europe, right? In certain countries in Europe. Um, so we'll see. Hey guys, I'll take this moment. I got a bail. I got a hard stop, and uh, I gotta, I gotta hop on to the next one before we jump into the next topic. All right, go ahead. Thanks for coming. Yeah, take care, guys. All right. All right. The last story. This is just a quick rant because I really have no effing idea what is going on over at Activision right now. Because besides the Blizzard stuff, like there is lots of drama going on on the Call of Duty side. Despite all the success they're having, Sledgehammer, you know, they let go of their founders. Uh, the the going from one engine to another, the Treyarch and Infinity Ward, like that's been big drama, right? And and so even though they are like firing on all cylinders and killing it, there there's shit that's going on that I I, I can't comp- understand exactly what's happening. So there's this article about this woman Johanna, who is the new GM of a Call of Duty franchise, and she's replacing this guy named Byron Bede, who I don't know either of these people. Clearly. So, but she will oversee this like multi-billion dollar IP. It's like the only thing that is going well for, <laughs> for uh, Activision right now. Uh, King is actually doing okay too, I suppose. Um, but she comes from being the commissioner of the esports league for Overwatch and Call of Duty, which obviously did not do very well. So, so the track record of success is not quite there, right? But let me, I, what I really want to do is compare the backgrounds of these two people that are supposedly leading the charge of Call of Duty. So Byron had 20 years at Activision, six years as a brand manager, three years as product manager of Call of Duty, VP of strategy for the Call of Duty franchise for two years. He was a senior VP of Destiny for five years and the EVP and GM of Call of Duty for two years. So basically he had 20 years of experience leading shooters right that that's that's his that was his whole mo right and 10 years on call of duty itself like being understanding the franchise understanding the players the developers etc right johanna on the other hand had 11 years with the nfl and 12 months as as call of duty commissioner right and now she is the gm of all of call of duty 
I mean, what the fuck is going on at Activision? This it makes no sense. There, it is not possible to get a less qualified person to put in such, such a position. It, it's like the biggest IP in video games. And we're talking about a woman that has had less than like a year's worth of experience on Call of Duty. It's like, it makes no sense. I, I, I think Bobby is going nuts or something. Like something is happening out there. You know, I, I, I don't. So what, what the problem with this is, is that if she's going to be the GM, then why? Then, then the heads of Sledgehammer, the heads of Treyarch, the heads of Infinity War have to interface with her. Like they're, they're going to have to, but how can they take her seriously when they don't even, she's never actually worked at a, at a, in, in the games business. Like she has no development experience. She has no product management experience. And, 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 and then there's other people within the organizations that are getting elevated too. You know, um, this guy, Dennis Durkin, who was a CFO, I worked with him at, at Alex Brown way back when, my first job out of college. The guy's the nicest guy in the world. I think he's the only nice guy in the entire C-suite at Activision. And yet they're replacing it with this guy named Armin Zerza, right? Who literally, I think, is the most hated executive in, in video games that I've heard of. And so now he's becoming the chief commercial officer of, of Activision Blizzard, right? I, I, I don't know what is going on. Like all the success that they're having with Call of Duty is not predicated on the fact that they're hiring the right people that people like, right? This is just like, it is like the complete opposite of what you would expect. The results are not matching the operations. And with this new person in charge of Call of Duty, which still blows my mind, I really would love someone to explain to me how that is even a possible thing. Well, well, maybe maybe they have so much experience in like like everybody thinks the same way in the Call of Duty franchise organization, and she's bringing a a new look because the franchise has grown so tremendously over the last couple of years. So she's able to to look at the market in a little bit a different way and make it more accessible. Because if you consider that everybody in your organization has been, you know, Call of Duty for the last twenty years, like how can they bring that to new audience? And then when you bring somebody who's you know, still super senior in the company and, and well-connected, like she may be able to open up the eyes. Like, Hey, we have all these new players. Like I'm playing call of duty for the first time for real. And that came in through the mobile. Like I knew call of duty since forever. I've tried it, but I never really played it. So I'm part of that new audience. And I think the new audience is massive when it comes to call of duty. Or maybe they're betting that esports is going to, since she was C commissioner of esports, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like, Esports is is. is I get. I, I don't. I, I need to get caught up on what's happening with esports, but it doesn't yeah. seem like I, it. I, I guess nothing happening at esports. Esports is done. I get. You know? I, I get the point, Eric. I get the point, but but sometimes, you know, it, it depends. It depends how strong their you know the leadership team in Call of Duty is. Like I assume that everybody there is like Byron. Like everybody is just a monster and have been doing this forever. And this is just a new look, uh, a new way of thinking. Uh, regarding the new audience because you know the other way is to do what you know no like no offense i, I quit playing Re league of legends on the mobile because it was just so punishing and it brought that same pc experience where you know i was being punished for afking like being banned on my account and it was a, just a mobile game and i assume that those type of decisions happen when you're in an organization where everybody has been playing league for the last 10 years and if somebody says like hey should we ban player like nobody would even bring that as a discussion point of banning players out of their first session, if they accidentally, you know, disconnect or AFK, we're going to close their account and tell them they're, they're pieces of shit because this is League of Legends and this is, and you're ruining the experience for other players in your team. But if you bring new player, new people who are kind of looking at the different platform, new players, they might be, you know, uh, asking a lot of good why questions. Okay. But I guess back to the point, my point is that Byron has been GM for a while, but he's been responsible for the success of this game over the last 20 years. I mean, partially responsible, obviously not, he's not obviously- what, was, so he, many, was he replaced or did he- Yeah, he was on? replaced. Oh. He's replaced that. I don't know where he's going. It's like he was- I, I, But then this could be more political, right? This might be like- Yes, a, well, that's the, the whole point. The, like, it, like the studio heads may not like him and they're like, okay, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna overthrow him and put in somebody else Oh, no, 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 no. has less power and that we can just kind of run over. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you, okay. It could be, I, I need to know this. I need to know. So if anybody <laughs> has any insights here, please reach out because I, this is just blowing my mind, right? I, I, Byron, 
I, he may be a big jerk. I have no idea. But the guy is like an OG, right? Yeah. And so like- and, and sometimes some of these high level execs, they don't really do much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they don't, like, if, you're the so general if, manager if, of a billion if dollar- you're a, If you're a studio head and you want to be able to run over somebody or speak in development language and not have them understand you being someone who doesn't have that background- Oh, see, my, I was thinking of the flip side. I, I feel it, like it, it could I feel like I think to be Bobby, fair, we're just speculating. It could be Mishka's mm-hmm. point too that they they're looking for a fresh perspective. Maybe they believe in esports in the future. Who knows? Yeah, and I, I well, my imagine is I just think Bobby is just basically plucking people from one place and putting them in other places without any type of idea of what 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 how what ramifications that will be on, on the overall organization. Right? Yeah. That's kind of my thought process. But like. Uh, you know, like this guy, uh, whatever his name is, the Armin, Armin guy, you know, like he was the, I think he was like uh, his chief of staff or something. The guy, he just got drop shipped into Blizzard and wreaked freaking havoc for years, right? And then now he's back up to the corporate offices in freaking, in, in LA, you know, like now he's like, I don't know, chief fucking commercial officer, whatever the fuck that means. But he's replacing Dennis as happens, a CFO. But this happens all the time too, right? Where this guy is Bobby's buddy. And even if they have no relevant background, <laughs> this happens in a lot of companies. It's like, I trust this person, so I'm going to put them in charge of this group. Yeah, and that, that no relevant exactly. And so that's kind of what I'm pointing out. But I think yeah. there, within creative organizations, that does not work. That that ends up backfiring big big right. time. Now, I'll give you a few good examples after we end this podcast. <laughs> no, but but, but Armin is Armin is part of the reason that everyone left at Blizzard is kind of my understanding. I worry about Activision's <laughs> and Blizzard's future, right, at this point. This seems scary <laughs> as hell. Okay, so on that positive note, and the way to end my career here, making more enemies. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> anyway, I think that's it for this week. See you all later, or you guys will see them all later next week. Yeah. We'll, Bye, we'll see you back. We'll, be, we'll see you again. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll come back to, to pimp something, so. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.